since I haven't had an opportunity yet to greet a lot of you, Happy New Year. Thank you. It's a blessing to have you here as we begin a new year. And it's interesting because after the, the previous service, or bef- I'm sorry, after the previous service, um, I was talking to a couple of people about my sermon, and I didn't realize that this was floating throughout the media. But I said, hopefully in 2020, we will see more clearly. And apparently a lot of people are using that. 2020, see clearly. I mean, someone told me, like, all kinds of people have used that. And I said, really? I thought I came up with it. (laughs) But I mean, it's catchy, 2020. And as we begin a new year, it's very interesting how, depending upon what you read and who you read, and just your personality or what you've experienced this past year, you have people right now that are very pessimistic about 2020 and some people who are optimistic And it's almost like there's dread coming uh, because of what's going on in the Middle East or the stock market. And then you have people that are basically suspending judgment. Oh, I just hope it's a good year, you know. And also it depends on someone's perspective when they say it. Are they saying it from a perspective of a secular mindset, a humanistic mindset where they're hoping without any real reason or looking for something in the world either to be pessimistic about or optimistic about. And what about us as Christians? What should our perspective be about the coming year, about this new year? You know, are you one who, and I've had several people say this to me actually, 2019 was a terrible year, I'm hoping that 2020 is a better year. And it's interesting how some people have said that. And I was reading an article in what magazine? Thank you very much. The Economist. And the title of the article was Pessimism versus Progress. Now, isn't that an interesting title for an article? I mean, what are they basically telling you? That if you're looking to progress, you should be optimistic because that's our answer. But what's progress? And how do you determine what progress is? And why should progress in and of itself make us optimistic? See, because ever since really the Industrial Revolution, the Enlightenment, those periods of time, there has always been people in our country and, frankly, in our world, that time and human intelligence and ingenuity will eventually solve all the problems. That's the mindset behind some people. Is it happening? Is it true? Well, let me read to you some quotes, and and actually some of these quotes are a little long, so hang with me, from this article that I found really curious. Faster, cheaper, better. Technology is one field many people rely upon to offer a vision of a brighter future. But as the 2020s dawn, optimism is in short supply. Fascinating. Because our technological advances have been tremendous. 
in many of our lifetime. Social media were supposed to bring people together. Today, they are better known for invading privacy, spreading propaganda, undermining democracy, e-commerce, ride-hailing. The gig economy may be convenient, but they are charged with underpaying workers, exacerbating inequality, and clogging the streets with vehicles. Parents worry that their smartphones have turned their children into screen-addicted zombies. The New York Times sums up the encroaching gloom, a mood of pessimism, it writes has displaced the idea of inevitable progress born in the scientific and industrial revolutions. In the 1970s, despondency was prompted by concerns over, about overpopulation, environmental damage, and the prospect of nuclear immolation. The 1920s witnessed a backlash against cars, which had been earlier seen as a miraculous answer to the affliction of horse-drawn vehicles which filled the streets with noise and dung, caused congestion and accidents. Stand back, and in each of these historical cases, disappointment arose from a mix of unrealized hopes and unforeseen consequences. Isn't that interesting? The most important lesson is about technology itself. Any powerful technology can be used for good or ill. Technology itself has no agency. It is the choices people make about it that shape the world. Keep that in mind. Perhaps the real source of anxiety is not technology itself, but growing doubts about the ability of, of societies to hold this debate and come up with good answers. And why do you think that is? From a Christian perspective, it's called sin. Let me read the end of the article because it may surprise you. So as the decade turns, put aside the gloom for a moment. Why? He doesn't tell you. To be alive in the tech-obsessed 2020s is to be among the luckiest people who have ever lived. Well, that's, of course, what drives someone who doesn't believe in God and may not be looking for God's way as a solution. What's the answer? Luck. That gives you a lot of confidence, doesn't it? I mean, because that's really what this guy is saying. After everything he said in the article, it's like, well, you know, we don't have a whole lot of good reason, and there's unforeseen complications, problems, consequences by all that's created. And in parenthesis, the more that's created and invented by people, the more power what has been created has, the more potential for destruction or hurting people, harming people, there may be. Think about it. You know, we had the Industrial Revolution. And many of the inventions were good inventions. But of course, automation put some people out of work. And there's been pollution. But there's been some good, hasn't there? And let's look at nuclear power. Nuclear power. Nuclear energy is good. Bombs. The potential hazard of nuclear waste, maybe not so good. Technology, social media, the advances in the internet. Great for information. 
But as I've said on numerous occasions, used for corruption many, many times. And hacking and stealing, human trafficking, I mean, it's been used, drug dealing, all kinds of wonderful uses. And so when you begin to look at it, part of the challenge is, as the article says, human choices with what we've been blessed with. And what choices do we make, and why do we make the choices that we make? What is guiding us? You know, the secular hope really is time and people. And underneath that, of course, is education because of our intelligence, and there's confidence in all that. But education guided by what? By whom? For what end or purpose? Those are the questions to ask. And it's really, really important to understand that there have been some good things that have taken place because of all these inventions and all the blessings that we have. But there's a problem that persists in every generation, and the problem is called sin. We live in a fallen world. We read that in the first lesson that we read in this service of Lessons and Carols from Genesis chapter 3. That people choose contrary to God's will because they want to be God. They want to be in control. They want the fixes and they want the fixes to benefit them and oftentimes bring them pleasure and comfort and convenience and ease. That's the point and purpose, isn't it? And so this problem persists in our culture. But God has given us a solution, an answer, a blessing for the problem. And what do people do? The gospel reading, the the final reading that Steve read from John 1. It says, God sent his son into the world and the world knew him not. And as Jesus would say in the upper room, they really don't want to know the truth. A lot of people in the world. His own people had the opportunity. They were the ones given the revelation of God, the prophecies. And they rejected him, as John 1 says. But he is the light. The light for life. And we know that when Christians receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and really look for him to be the Lord, how they begin to seek to bring good to the world. Not just inventions, although that might provide good, but good to the world. Orphanages and hospitals. And seeking to bring the good news, the gospel of salvation to other people. So we have a problem. It's called sin. Romans 3. None are righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the point. But God gave a promise amidst that, immediately upon the fall, Genesis 3, and down through the prophets, Moses being one, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, I mean, we can look throughout the prophets, the Psalms are filled with prophecies that would be fulfilled by Jesus. Why? Because he's the one that was promised the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, to bring us salvation. And when salvation comes, 
and Jesus comes into our heart and the Holy Spirit floods in, then we are transformed. And we become these agents to help change the world for good. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to be these change agents because of the promises of God in Christ. Because he took upon himself our sins so that we can be released, freed from the consequences and the guilt and the shame. I mean, that's throughout Isaiah. I've talked about this a couple of times throughout Advent and the Christmas season. About Isaiah 7, 9, and 11, this promised Messiah. And then you get to Isaiah 40 through 53, and it's the suffering servant passages. And in particular, Isaiah 53 that talks about he took upon himself our iniquity so that we could have salvation, eternal life, and life that begins now that we can have an impact on the world. And this is in the context, by the way, if you know Isaiah's life, Isaiah chapter 6, when he's called, in his mind, the world was falling apart. So for those of you that are pessimists, there's good news. Because for decades, Uzziah, King Uzziah, had ruled the land, and people were prosperous, and there was peace. But on the horizon... Because people had grown complacent was judgment. Along with the judgment came a promise. And that, that's that mixture that we experience. I mean, Isaiah himself, who when Uzziah died, flew to the temple because he was in a panic, saying, our world's going to fall apart. And when he encountered the living God, what did he immediately do? He confessed. He said, I have unclean lips. I live among a people like that. He repented, and God transformed him and then used him to bring the promise, to usher in the promise by his prophecy. 700 years later, Jesus is born. The gift for life and life eternal. So that we have this eternal perspective. It's not just about here and now. And when we have these good gifts that bless the world, we need to recognize the source. Every good gift comes from God. Every good gift. He wants to bless us. He wants to use us. He wants our lives to be transformed according to His will and way. His word. He wants to give us gifts. Like He did the first Christmas. Like we do at Christmas time in remembrance of that. That's His plan. That's what we just read about in this unfolding through prophecies from Genesis to Isaiah to the Gospels themselves. To bring this truth for us, this reality, this power to be transformed by his word, by his spirit, by his son. So what's progress? Is it strictly technological advances? Is it strictly for my comfort and ease and security? See, if we are progressing in Christ, it's different. Because we become more and more like him. We seek to serve him and serve others in the world. You know, the problems that are talked about in this article, at least some of them, they still persist. 
We think slavery's been abolished, but if you're re- in reality, I just read an article about that, over 30 million slaves in the world that they know about. That they know about. Sex trafficking, human trafficking being the primary causes of that. Not exclusive, but primary. Greed, of course. Homelessness. Homelessness is actually growing amongst the most prosperous, successful, intelligent generation. People are still starving and we can have enough crops and food to feed the world. Why? Why? Frankly, because of contention and terrorism and politics. See, sin still persists. But how does the world change? Well, it begins by us changing ourselves. If we are a reflection of the world, if our mindset is a worldly mindset, the world will continue to spiral down. Even with all the advances we have, the progress will be in the wrong direction. And I know this is not our home for eternity. If you are a believer in Christ, this is not your home. That's the good news, by the way. If you're feeling pessimistic about 2020, that's fine. Because eternity is much better anyway. But the reality is that we are still to be catalysts for change. We are still to be instruments of his grace and goodness. And so the question to ask is, why am I here? Why am I here in 2020? What does God have for me this year? With the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time, the resources, why am I here today? Because God wants to use you To touch lives. That's why. To bring his grace and goodness to the world. That's why. That's why you're here. Whether you came here by accident or not. That's why you're here. Because he sent his son. Because he sent his Holy Spirit. We have the privilege the opportunity, the real source for good to change the world. Because it's not just about time. It's not just about human intelligence. It's not just about education. That's the world's answer. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his people by the power of the Holy Spirit being change agents in the world. That's why you're here. So when you look to 2020, you can be optimistic. Not because necessarily where the world's going, or because of the economy, or because of what's going on in the Middle East, or the presidential election even. Because Jesus Christ came in the world, and he chose you to be his agent to bless the world. That's why. Let's pray.
Lord God, help us as we enter this new year of 2020 to see more clearly because we see you alive in our lives as our Savior and Lord. We see you in operation in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see you through your word that guides us and blesses us and seeks to bless the lives of those around us. Lord, help us to be your catalyst, your instrument of grace and goodness to a world that's desperate for the gospel and desperate for God's people to be those agents of grace and love and goodness and change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.